Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week and I guide you through this week's show with Caitlin Hayden, who's SVP of Communications at BAE Systems. Caitlin, welcome to the PR Week. Thanks, Steve. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you with us. We're also joined by our regular co-host, that's Frank Washcook, our Executive Editor. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me on. Has the snow stopped in your part of Brooklyn? No, and it looks like it won't stop for uh, almost another full day yet. So it looks yeah. like we're going to uh, get snowed in again for like a fifth time this month. It's time to all fly out to Can- Cancun then, I guess. <laughs> sorry. <Yeah. laughs> it's a bit of an, sorry, a bit of a joke at Ted Cruz's expense then, but not the people of Texas who are going through a horrendous time, um, and as are a lot of people. So our thoughts are with you. Um, we'll, t- we'll chat to Caitlin, and then we'll talk about the big stories of the week. Uh, TJ Duclo has resigned from the White House press team. We'll talk about how and why. Developments at Edelman, some interesting uh, people moves there, promotions on the team, and uh, a new content studio set up that uh, they're going to continue their um, competitive uh, stab at the ad agencies. Omnicom has released its full year 2020 numbers and Q4s. We'll talk about Howard Rubinstein's memorial service, which was earlier this week, which was a, um, a very moving occasion and an incredible lineup of people there. Talk about vaccine communications. We have a feature on Mark Webber at the HHS and talking about spanning two administrations and doing big public information comms campaigns. We'll talk about all the latest people moves, lots of moves this week, and the launch of Dashboard Daily, our comms tech product, which is up and coming. But first of all, Caitlin, let's chat to you. How's lockdown been for you? BAE Systems, big arms, uh, security and aerospace business, big contracts, British company, but you're based in D.C., um, talk a little bit about how the last year has been for you, your team, and, and for the industry generally that you operate in. Yeah, Steve, thanks. I get to run comms for the U.S. arm of BA Systems. And so um, we've got about 35,000 employees across the U.S. We've got some in Sweden and the U.K. and some in Israel. In the comms function, I've got about 130 people or so, and then about 15 or 16 on my team. Um, and I think people are are excited about the fact that vaccines are coming and and looking forward to 2021, but are carrying along with them just a tiredness. And, you know, we're, we're worn down and, and, you know, we've been working like this for, for a long time. And I think um, it's really wearing on people. Um, the defense industry, for the most part, you know, we are we are deemed essential and critical in the U.S. And so our folks had to keep coming in, had to keep working, keep delivering on our contracts to our customers um, who are largely you know, governments and and companies. And so we spent a lot of time and effort trying to figure out how to make these workplaces safe so people could continue to come in. What precautions did we need? How did we need to change manufacturing lines and shifts um, so people could continue to do their work on behalf of of the warfighter. So um, people have been, you know, in the office. We've been trying to keep people out of the office who don't need to be there. And I think 
really like a lot of companies and industries proving we can do a lot remotely that we didn't really realize we could. So um, our business has a little bit of um, commercial aviation week. So uh, commercial aviation work. And, um, you know, that took a bit of a hit um, this year, given all that was going on, the lack of travel. Um, but, you know, for the most part, we were able to keep going some disruptions, some slowdowns, but still delivering. And so, um, you know, I, I'm really impressed by what we were able to do and the resilience of uh, of our people to keep coming in every day and, and kind of work through and work in lots of different ways um, during COVID. So I think a lot of tired people, but people are excited about the fact that we are, you know, starting to see vaccines coming and can try to get back to what looks like a new normal. Um, yeah, so was, was most of the press team coming into the office then for, for most of the year? No, um, most, I mean, my perspective was if you don't need to be in the office, don't be. Um, so yeah, most yeah. of us are working remotely. I've been working from home most of the time. Um, I have a three and a half year old who hopefully doesn't try to make her PR week debut um, today <laughs> while we have a snow day. But, you know, we're all juggling that sort of stuff at home. But we I'm are. getting the job done. Yeah, if you hear a herd of elephants sounding noise, that's my two uh, new cats <laughs> run up and down the flat, the, the apartment, and uh, make an incredible noise for two tiny kittens. But there you go. So yeah, that's that's just been part of the the landscape, hasn't it? Have you done what have you done on the employee engagement side? Have you done much more? Uh, has it been a more humanizing approach with your CEO and your senior execs? Have they done more, you know, video calls with the teams, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. Both a lot more kind of personal outreach, a lot more small group video uh, sessions, um, but also trying to change a little bit of the tone of our written messages and video messages to make sure we're we're empathetic and, and genuine and not just talking about business, but talking about the things we know people are bringing with them to their work, the worries about health and safety and job security. And, you know, in the U.S. in particular, you sort of layer on from COVID the, the kind of issues around racial injustice this year. Um, and we're just trying to stay uh, ultra connected to our employees and to listen and to understand what they need to get through this difficult year and that we're modeling that kind of empathy from our CEO on down. How do you split the team up? Because obviously you said your main customers are government. So obviously communicating, that's a, it's a kind of a B2B exercise, I guess, or a B2G if, if such a thing exists. But then you've got your your corporate reputation and public reputation as well. And by nature of the industries you're in, there will be times when issues come up and you have to navigate those. So how does the teams, how do you split your team up? Yeah. So we have most of our communicators are, are in the business units um, and a lot of them are paired up with with particular programs. But we've we've largely split things up as sort of, you know, an external team um, that does digital media, community investment and financial communications. We've got um, an internal and executive team that focuses on employee engagement and kind of working with our leadership um, and then a brand and marketing team. Uh, who also uh, for us encompasses our events. Um, and our events are largely big trade shows. Um, so those are kind of big undertakings. We've got a bunch of experts uh, who sit in that brand and marketing pillar working on that stuff. What is the most challenging part of the job when you're in the industries you are? Because some of those trade shows can, can also be a bit controversial as well. What, what, can you give us some examples of uh, how you navigate that? uh ha navigating challenges in the in the job um yeah like you know if you've got a big arms trade fair sometimes that attracts the attracts negative uh coverage or you know you might get protesters or that sort of thing 
Yeah, I mean, we we prepare as as you would expect with a lot of um, kind of contingency messaging to make sure you know you've got a lot of people in and out of those booths who you know are are talking to customers, we're talking to members of the public to make sure they they understand where we are on on all sorts of different issues, um, what our messaging is, and that we've got you know clear protocols of who who to refer people to, who to who to talk to if if something goes awry. The shows do a really good job, I think, of having these kinds of protocols, um, you know, for when things happen. But we've you know knock wood, we've I think pretty blessedly haven't had any had any issues lately but we just try to make sure people know who they're supposed to talk to and and what what our position is on on all kinds of things um but i think a lot of these are um uh, it's just a lot of customer engagement at these events um and i think a less um sort of public engagement than you would expect yeah and being a British company, what sort of impact is Brexit having on the company and the environment as a whole? Is that going to change uh, strategies at BAE? Um, I, I definitely do not want to try to speak to the the broader group, um, you know, and how they're reacting to Brexit. I think we're really focused in the U.S. on what a new Biden administration means for defense budgets, what it means for how they're going to be reviewing arms sales. Um, and just, you know, personnel moves. Um, you know, we were looking to see who the new service acquisition executives are, who's going to be in charge of acquisition, and what kind of partners are they going to be for us in industry. So I think we've got some really smart people in the UK side looking at all that. And, and my team and I and our amazing government relations team get to look at, you know, what all the changes in Congress and the administration mean for us. Yeah, good luck to them over the water on that one. Um, that's a good point about the new administration. You've worked in the aerospace industry body before, and you you worked in the White House as well. So you're well versed in in how those worlds work. And um, what are the secrets as a communicator to um, making sure you get on with the new administration, or just navigating that new administration? I mean, I have a general rule about life and and navigating Washington, which is like work hard and don't be a jerk. Um, and so I think you know, That's a good uh, motto. You know, we can all we could we can all learn from that one. Yeah, but I think you know, uh, DC is a pretty small place. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, we've all crossed paths before, and some people like me have worked in you know in, in both both administrations. I worked for George Bush before I worked for Barack Obama. And so, you know, a lot of us know each other. And I think just respecting the roles that these folks are in and the hard jobs that they have. Um, but, you know, a lot of us know each other. And I think it's just showing up with a lot of respect and and trying to figure out how you can help them, frankly, do their jobs. Um, in this case, you know, a, a lot of the people that are serving in the Biden administration served in the Obama administration. And so, you know, a lot of us know, know these folks and um, have relationships and so are really looking forward to kind of reaching out and figuring out how we can work together. But, um, you know, those transitions, if you learn anything in Washington, it's that on any given day, somebody who used to report to you is going to end up being your boss. And, you know, if you start to play politics and try to try to pull rank on somebody, it's really it doesn't usually work out well. And so I think it's just, you know, trying to show up and be helpful and, and respect the jobs that people have to do. That's good advice. Do you sense more of a, a sort of feeling of normality returning to D.C. after, you know, a fairly unusual four years when whatever your political views, it wasn't normality, was it? It was a different type of uh, administration in the way it dealt with the, the norms that have been established over the generations. 
100%. I mean, I think there's been a, a big exhale in Washington that the, the turbulence of not knowing what to expect on any given day um, is starting to be replaced by some normal things that we're used to seeing, the daily press briefings, written readouts of calls. Um, you know, just it's a familiarity of, of how government works that is uh, somewhat soothing when when it's been this tumultuous. Um, so, yeah, I think people are, are getting back to what they expect to see out of out of the government. Yeah. And finally, do you, when do you foresee getting back into the office and the team reverting? Are we anywhere nearer that? Obviously, the vaccines are here, but the distribution is a bit challenged, as we'll discuss later. But have you got any thoughts on that or are you just playing it by ear? It's more rigorous than playing it by ear or certainly watching the situation. But I'm setting my own internal sense that it's going to be the fall before we're probably back in the office. We have people in the office occasionally, you know, on any given day at our headquarters, there's probably about 20 people. They're sort of sitting far removed from each other. Uh, but, you know, the office is there if people need to go in, but we're, I think we're just going to wait and see on vaccine distribution and when, when uh, we feel like those numbers make sense to start returning more people, but we've shown we can do it remotely. So from my perspective, there's no rush. Yeah. Got it. I got it. I think that's a good uh, strategy to follow. All right. Well, thank you, Caitlin. And we'll get your input on the topical stories of the week, starting with a White House story, Frank. Um, TJ Duclo, who was Deputy Press Secretary, uh, resigned over the last weekend after a pretty egregious interaction with a reporter. Could talk us through that story. He resigned uh, late Saturday, uh, after previously being suspended for a week, uh, after he threatened, uh, Politico's reporter, Tara Palmieri. She's one of the authors of the, the Daily Playbook newsletter, which is read by pretty much everybody in Washington. Uh, she was doing some reporting on Ducklow's, uh, relationship with a former, well, with a, a current reporter at Axios, who's now a, a former political reporter and on a different beat. Uh, things got pretty heated, evidently, in the discussion, and Ducklow made some comments that were misogynistic and obviously not acceptable. So uh, he was suspended at first, then uh, resigned and said he wouldn't return from suspension uh, one day later. And this was all in the context of President Biden saying on his first day that he would not put up with any disrespect in the way people behaved with their colleagues and with uh, people in the outside world. So the fact that uh, he let, he went was probably inevitable. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because when I saw Biden make that statement, I thought, you know, well, this is obviously well-intentioned and it's it's the right thing to do. But you know, in the in the media relations slash journalist world, I mean, you do have some heated discussions every now and then. Now, of course, that doesn't excuse what he said and did, which is way over the line. So, you know, it, it's a good thing he stepped down. It's a good thing he resigned. Obviously, he, he fell way short of this standard that was set. Um, but he, I think we all have an eye on how the, the press versus press office relationship is going to continue to work in this new administration, because obviously they're setting a totally different tone than the prior administration. Yeah, absolutely. Caitlin, um, Jen Psaki, is that pretty much the honeymoon over for her and her team? They, You mentioned that they'd return to normality with daily briefings and a more respectful relationship with, with, with the press. But this certainly wasn't a, a, a good example, was it? No, I mean, I, I don't think the honeymoon's over. And I, I lay out my bias here that I've worked with Jen and I'm a huge Jen Psaki fan. 
Um, I think she's amazing, but I, this does seem like an unforced error that, you know, just spent a few days admiring them and stuff that they really didn't need to be. I mean, it, it was clear what needed to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he had to go and they probably should have acted a bit faster, but they did eventually uh, pull the trigger there. And um, yeah, it was unfortunate. Um, and we know that TJ Duclo has been having a tough personal time with suffering from cancer, but there was no real excuse for behaving like that toward another reporter. What about the general sort of tenor of reporter versus administration relations, Caitlin? You know, you can't, you obviously have robust back and forth, don't you? But you, there must be lines drawn at, at some point. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely get into heated discussions on substance, on tactics, um, but fundamentally you've got to respect each other. And I think more importantly, you've got to keep working together. Um, it serves it serves nobody to have dysfunctional relationships. I think one of the interesting things about what TJ Ducklow, you know, went through is the them suggesting that he wouldn't deal with Politico anymore uh, yeah. after he returned, and that's just untenable. I think yeah. um, you have to be able to work with folks, even if you if you don't personally uh, like it. That's your job. And I think when you sit at the White House or in any any part of the administration, um, you're getting paid to to give information to the American people. And you've got to do that through the press, whether you like that outlet or not, or like that reporter or not. That's that's your job. Yeah, that's a good point. You can't exclude uh, a, a, an outlet as big as that. And uh, yeah, it's just not practical. So yeah. Edelman is in the news this week, Frank, and our readers always like reading about the biggest PR firm in the world. Some interesting promotions, uh, mainly on the West Coast, and also the establishment of a new content studio play. Talk us through it. First things first, um, let's talk about Edelman Studios, which is this global content studio that they are debuting this week. And it is, it's it's interesting in that it's two parts. And Jared Moses, who's now, who's the CEO of DJE Holdings, United Entertainment Group, uh, is going to oversee the whole thing. Now you split it into two parts. One is going to be Blue Room Studios, and that's focused on more, you know, snackable, bite-sized, fast reaction type content. And the other part is going to be Edelman Productions, uh, which will be overseen by Katie Walmsley, who uh, is an interesting joiner for the firm because she comes from the Bloomberg data shop Hawkfish, uh, which is in the process of winding down right now. So it's it's a really interesting content studio, two parts that they're building out. It's also in partnership with these two external organizations. One is... VidMob, which is a content optimization and analytics firm, uh, and also the France-based digital media company, Brut. So it's a really, uh, I think it's an interesting content studio. I know that, you know, just from from talking to people out there, that there are other firms that are thinking about doing the same thing. It'll be interesting to see how many roll out in the next coming, you know, coming months. So yeah, it's a space to keep an eye on for sure. play, Play devil's advocate, Frank. Setting up a content studio sounds very sort of, you know, 2010. Um, And, you know, Jared uh, came with the United Entertainment Group, which was acquired by Edelman a few years ago. Um, And did you have the brand Brute over here, the aftershave brand? Or was that just a European? Yeah, that was immediately, that was what I thought of too. (laughs) Okay, that was very 70s to me. (laughs) I don't know, it just felt a little bit outdated to me. I'm I'm aware of the brand. I see what you're saying. I I do think it's interesting, though, in that they're breaking this down in terms of long form versus short form. Uh, and there does seem to be some data rigor behind this uh, when you look at who they're working with, whether it's, it's the two external agencies. 
Um, so I, I think it's interesting. I think maybe it's a little bit more than just a very general content studio. It's a bit more specific, maybe a bit more strategic. It feels like a content studio plus to me, yeah, in a way. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And uh, United yeah. Entertainment Group was very big in brand films, and uh, we've seen the way they've evolved. And um, so, yeah, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how they develop that. And then on the, on the uh, promotion side? Yes, four key market leadership roles uh, in various markets. Dan Weber promoted to president of Edelman in Washington, D.C. He succeeds Lisa Osborne Ross in that role. She's still with the firm. She's going to focus on being COO. Jonathan Jordan is moving up to GM of the agency's Los Angeles office reporting. Will Cauley, who goes over to become vice chair and head of client growth in Asia Pacific. Margot Edelman will become GM of Edelman's Bay Area branch. She's, of course, Richard Edelman's daughter. And Ryan Cudney will succeed Melissa Nelson as GM of Edelman's Pacific Northwest office, uh, moving over from Chicago. So I kind of like the idea of a person called Weber working for Edelman, but that's just my small mindedness. <laughs> um, and interesting to see Margot getting a promotion there. And of course, Richard has spoken in the past about hoping to hand over the firm to one of his three daughters, I think two of whom work in the firm. So Margot making her mark there. And Jonathan Jordan, the first black man to run an Edelman office, which I think is Correct, very, yeah. very noteworthy and some might say not before time, but at least it's good to see that happen. Kayla, yeah. you're an Edelman alum. Um, what's your views on um, the agency as it's evolved? And um, I don't know if you got to work with Mr. Weber when you were in the DC office or indeed with uh, Margot. I, I worked with Margot only a little bit. I worked closely with Dan Weber, and this is a fantastic choice. I mean, Dan is a great people leader. He's a brilliant strategist. You know, he's the guy you want um, in the trenches with you, figuring out the hard problems. And so, you know, great mentor, great you know, just a, a, a great communicator. So I think the DC office is in great hands. Um, and I never actually understood how, you know, Lisa Ross is, is like a superhuman, um, how she could, could run the DC office and be COO. So I think this, this decision makes a ton of sense um, for, yeah. for DC and for Lisa uh, to get to focus on, on that big role. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, it's always interesting to see what the, that firm is doing, but those were particularly noteworthy people moves. Let's continue on the agency tip with Omnicom, which released its full year 2020 and its Q4 results this week. Frank, how did they do? Omnicom's PR firms were down 4.2% for all of 2020, but there's a big silver lining in Q4 where they show a slight revenue increase of 0.2%. Um, that's, that's a rarity this year, uh, amid the pandemic, uh, with any group of PR firms or really any holding company group at all showing any income, any kind of increase for a quarter. They are up to 351.5 million in Q4 in revenue, uh, 1.3 billion for the year. Now it's important to keep in mind, of course, that PR only accounts for about 10% of Omnicom's billings for the last year. Advertising is almost 60 uh, percent. But of the CEOs we talked to on our Fleischmann's, uh, John Saunders says he had uh, a stellar year for the firm. But you could tell in his comments he's, he's cognizant of uh, the stress of the last year and early 2021 is having on staff uh, and talking about creating a positive working environment and a good atmosphere. So uh, it results in good client work. Yeah, I think those results are actually not bad, are they? I mean, uh, they're yeah. probably, I think their competitors would say, yeah, their comparables are not particularly good years. 
But uh, 4.2% is the new flat, I think. And to have yeah. uh, produced a surplus, uh, to have been, uh, grown in Q4, I think is a good achievement. So, yeah. Generally... I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's a terrific Q4 for Omnicom's network. Yeah. Caitlin, how do you use agencies at BAE? Is it more on a project basis or do you have a AOR? What's your strategy? It's more project-based. Um, we definitely have some long-term partners. Um, our folks at the PLC in London um, have some partners they work with. We've we've kind of done some project work periodically here in the U.S. We cut some last year um, during COVID, um, and I'm really looking forward this year to kind of digging into you know finding the right partner to do some brand work that we're we're excited about. So project-based, um, you know, and and some long-standing relationships on our group side. Yeah. I should have mentioned on the Edelman story, we had a, I, I interviewed Jonathan Jordan for a coffee break this week, and uh, it was great to chat to JJ, as he is known. So do check that out if you want to know more about um, the new LA GM of the uh, Edelman company. Um, this week noted Howard Rubinstein's memorial service. Howard um, passed away around the holidays and uh, a, a real PR legend and a New York legend, one of the most well-known people in the, in, in the city and a real pioneer, Frank. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, and, and you were at his virtual memorial service, and I, I'm sure there's something you'll want to add to this, but it's just the breadth of people that he worked with. Um, going back decades, just, just such a, you know, who's who list of local, you know, media moguls and politicians and all kinds of VIPs across industries uh, really just shows you the kind of uh, influence that, that he had, you know, well beyond this industry or the sector, but just, just business in general in New York. Yeah, it was, um, it was incredible to see some of the names amongst the 500 participants. I mean, I was just scrolling idly through the the participants and there's Rupert Murdoch in his sitting room uh, watching the memorial service which sort of got and obviously uh, Howard worked with uh, News Corporation for many many decades but uh, Andrew Cuomo taped a message Chuck Schumer was there live with a message as were Cardinal Dolan and Rabbi Schneider so and, and that was a great example of how Howard was um, very very famous Jewish businessman but he he worked just as much with the Catholic Church and he was famous for playing being representing both sides in a in a dispute at many times and bringing people together and uh, just an incredible character. There was also a message from Hal Steinbrenner of the Steinbrenner family, the New York Yankees. Um, Howard was absolutely connected with that franchise uh, from right in the early days when he started his agency in his mother's kitchen, which is a great story. Uh, if you want to know more about it, Check out the profile we did of him in uh, 2017, where you get all the history and, and uh, uh, some stories about the people he worked with. And there was a great line, really, that uh, Stephen Rubinstein, his son, um, highlighted of Howard's, which he said when he said, I choose to live on the sunny side of the street. And he literally would get up every day, you know, full of the joys of life and try and look on the positive side of things. And he loved his family dearly and his family were all all represented there and it was just a it was a great very great shame that it had to be done virtually but there were um it was it was a very moving ceremony and there were lots of pr people and like and just new yorkers there you know because he was such a big part of rebuilding new york in the 70s when it had such a, a rough time and he loved new york he really did love new york so rest in peace um howard and um uh, 
you know, our commiserations to your family, but we will uh, definitely remember you. Okay, let's talk about vaccine communications. We have a piece uh, which we made live Thursday about Mark Weber, who works at HHS, and uh, he was sort of heavily involved with a big comms campaign around vaccine communications, and um, which started last late last summer into the fall, and then have spanned the administrations through the Trump administration into Biden. And it's a fascinating. Um, account of what it's like to um, navigate that as a communicator because he's a civil servant. He's been at uh, HHS since 1989. So over those three plus decades, he's seen many, many transitions and worked with many different uh, presidents and their teams. So it was an interesting story, wasn't it, Frank? It is. And I, I think it's it's important to highlight the civil servants that work in Washington who are not tied to a political party and and do good work like this um, all of the time, no matter who is in in office and and try to be non-political and and straightforward on what they're doing. Uh, So Mark Weber is one of those folks. He's at HHS. Um, And he had the tough job of going from one radically different uh, administration to another with this campaign. And this was the kind of much derided defeat despair campaign, which is still evolving. And and we will see uh, what they are going to come out with. And as it becomes more of a vaccination uh, acceptance and rollout campaign. And one interesting thing I think that he was talking about in this article is, you know, we're really targeting what he called the movable middle with this effort. Uh, you know, folks that they want to get vaccinated, but they might be a little bit on the fence uh, about some things with vaccine or this particular vaccine and, you know, really convincing them that the vaccine is safe and effective and it's a good idea uh, to get it. So, you know, he has, he has a lot of responsibility. It's a very big job, a lot of a difficult job, I would argue, uh, to go out and to make a campaign that comprehensively makes the case to these people that, that getting vaccinated is the right thing to do. Yeah, you can guarantee you won't hear the words defeat, despair in any of the work that's, that's going to be coming out in the in the next few weeks when the campaign really does start launching big time. The one concern they had was not doing loads of ads when people couldn't actually get access to the vaccine. So they wanted to uh, wait until there is better distribution. And that was one of the things. And obviously it was controversial because some people saw it as a political, politically motivated campaign. So he talks about that. He talks about other campaigns in the past in the Obama administration and spanning two administrations with the same issue. So it's it's well worth a read and um, very interesting. Caitlin, what's your experience of that word, working with career civil servants, but then also elected, politically appointed civil servants? Frank made the point, it's, it's always tricky, right, when you span administrations, um, because the new administration um, <laughs> sometimes has choice words for the, the exact things you had just been working on. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's your job to, to say, oh, nope, uh, yeah, that was bad. And this new thing is good. Um, so it, it can definitely be challenging. Um, but I think, you know, most, most of the, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that most of the government are career civil servants. So they are the same people um, you know, still working these issues. And I think that does give some level of consistency. But I remember sitting in the White House, uh, working on talking points about how there had been no strategy on Afghanistan and Pakistan in the previous administration, which I had just been working on for the previous three and a half years. Um, and so sometimes you have to sort of, you know, bite your tongue, uh, swallow a little bit hard. But also, you know, I would I would push back a little bit and say, can we nuance how we're saying this? Because actually there was quite an effort. It just wasn't effective or maybe it wasn't good enough, but um, that work was going on. And I think, you know, the new... Um, 
I really appreciated that President Biden and and Tony Blinken and others um, have really reached out to the career people to say, you're on the team. Uh, we yeah. need you. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And um, yeah, Mark Webber um, basically said at the end, yeah, that's what I signed up for. So he's he's well used to it in his long career and he's and he's uh, good at navigating it. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff. Well worth a read, that one. Um, some interesting people moves this week. Frank, just give us a quick roundup. Sure, happy to. Uh, Publicist Group's MSL has named Shreya Mukherjee uh, as its chief strategy officer. She replaces Alina Diaz, who is moving to oversee the consumer practice at MSL. Uh, Shreya is reporting straight up to MSL CEO Diana Littman. Uh, SKDK appoints Ray Robinson as its first chief equity and inclusion officer. She's also running the firm's multicultural communications and engagement practice, reporting to CEO Josh Isay. Um, and here's a really interesting one. Praytel has hired Anheuser-Busch's Adam Warrington as its first chief reputation officer. And it's interesting because Anheuser-Busch, the maker of Budweiser, Bud Light, and a bunch of other uh, beers, seltzers, et cetera, et cetera, uh, has been a Praytel client for a number of years. You don't often see the See somebody normally, make people move in that direction. Yeah, normally the other direction, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and he's also a veteran of Golan. Also, we have Sarah Houseneck joining Wilson Sporting Goods. Uh, she in, in their top communications role. She's formerly of Foot Locker, and I'll give you one more. In the Crystal Warwell Walker uh, is joining CVS Health. Uh, and leading the gigantic business segment there, Aetna, leading the communications team there. Um, and she is a veteran of Cineos Health, which is a global biopharmaceutical contract research organization. Uh, if you go back a couple of years, the CVS Health deal to buy Aetna, one of the, the biggest insurers in the country, was the biggest acquisition of 2018. So a gigantic business segment for her to oversee. Yeah, Sarah Hausnick was on our forty under forty list last year. So uh, congrats to her for on that new role, and lots of uh, interesting people moves there. Finally, let's talk about Dashboard Daily, Frank. It's launching on Monday, the big day. Yeah, we're all very excited for it because we know what a big topic communications technology. Dare I even say a pain point? It is to even, you know, some of the best and smartest chief communications officers and, and communications leads uh, as they try to figure this out. And uh, it's going to be a bit of a guide as they try to get through this space and really, you know, navigate comms tech as a specific area, different from marketing technology, um, and try to make the best decisions about products, whether it's analytics or, you know, various other types of tech. Yeah, we launched Dashboard about a, just over a year ago. It's been coming into your inbox every two weeks. Now it's going to come into your inbox every day. So we've really ramped up the cadence of that content. We'll be launching the Dashboard 25 class of 2021 on Monday to coincide with the daily launch. So look out for that. And we want your pitches. We want to cover this space in depth. And so any stories, case studies, opinion pieces, send them to dashboard at prweek.com, please. And we'll, uh, we're looking out for your contributions. But uh, is Comptech a big deal in the BAE? Uh, sort of press team, Caitlin? 
Yeah, increasingly so. And I'm, I am reminded, I had a chance to talk to Frank this summer and uh, he asked, you know, what do you need more of? What do you want more of? And one of the first things I said was measurement. Um, you know, I think it's increasingly important um, for us, you know, our customers are our governments and businesses, and we have ways of, of understanding who they are, but we are in a talent war um, to try and, and recruit and, and retain people. And so, you know, being able to measure and, and understand who we're, who we're reaching and what they're getting from us is so important. So, you know, we're using it to, to measure on, the, on social media and on the digital side, but also, you know, I think like a lot of companies, there's sort of standard, you know, business wire, press release sort of stuff. But I think we're increasingly trying to figure out how we can do a better job of measuring um, where we're at. And also on the internal side, how are we reaching our employees? We've got so many employees who are disconnected from networks, who are out in shipyards, who are on assembly lines with no email connectivity. How do we how do we make sure we're getting to them? How do we measure that? And how do we do better? Um, yeah. So it is really important for us, I think, in a way that it, it maybe um, hasn't been before. Yeah, uh, you've got to be a left left brain as well as right brain to be an effective PR pro these days. And uh, internal comms, especially, has been a big um, increase in awareness of that over the past 12 months. So, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us, Caitlin. been great to chat to you and, um, you know, continued good, uh, good luck to you in D.C. and uh, at BAE Systems. Thank you so much. And Frank, always a pleasure, and uh, stay out of the snow, and uh, we will uh, look forward to the launch of Dashboard Daily on Monday. Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, finally, don't forget our Brand Film Awards. The final deadline for that is on the 4th of March, so you've still got time to get your films in. Brilliant uh, festival of film, that brand film, so do, do get your best work in. The Agency Business Report is out for submissions, and we're looking for those. If you your agency hasn't signed up yet, please do reach out and uh, it's um, abr at prweek.com for information on that. And uh, don't forget the PR Week Awards, the Oscars of the PR industry on the 18th of March. Virtual event, but uh, we will make sure it's just as much fun as usual. But that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.